ladies and gentlemen. It's been a long time. And I shouldn't have left you without a dope pod to step to. And in the words of Public Enemies, Chuck D, bring the noise. Independent Podcast Network. I'm Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Happy New Year to one all, to all of you, to one and all. It's uh, it's part. It's, it's it's close to the seven day threshold that I give myself. So <laughs> I got there right. I got there right right at the death on the sixth day. So Happy New Year to one and all. I hope you're all doing well, and hope you all had a wonderful end of December and holiday period. So yeah, you know, we're back, we're back in it, 2022, 22 is my favourite number, so, you know, hopefully that says something, um, you know, I, holidays was fine, I guess, um, it, it, in, in the, uh, of course, uh, who, who did the song, but, um, you know, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, um, it wasn't looking like that in my home, because, uh, we're mid-renovation, <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah, the only, the only, um, uh, the only the only uh, sprinkles of stuff uh, we had, uh, you know, visually was, um, you know, sprinkles of, uh, you know, brick dust going everywhere, uh, of uh, demolishing kitchens and uh, garage uh, walls and shit like that. So yeah, it, it didn't look like Christmas, but we we had a Christmas. So there there was there was that, um, and yeah, man. Apart from that, pretty solid. Um, you know, with the, with the with the uh, you know with the with the Omicron going around, you know, I've been able to you know just. Uh, you know, just hook up, link up with the boys or anything like that, like I usually do, um, you know, stuff like that, during the holiday period especially, um, although they've tried, um, for some reason, a couple of them have tried, like, hitting up group chats, I'm just like, what are you doing, why, why are you trying, why, 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 what are you doing, stay home, like, what are you doing, <laughs> what the fuck are you going out for, um, so, yeah, you know, uh, not for the lack of trying on some, on some people's parts, but, you know, it's what it is, uh, people got to get their drink on apparently, but yeah, man. Apart from that, pretty solid. I can't complain. Um, you know, I, just, uh, I did my end of year list. If you guys didn't peep that, please go peep that on the uh, Fifth Element uh, Dog UK. Go give that a spin. Um, songs, EPs, albums really put some good effort into it. I feel it's probably the most effort I've put into a set of lists um, so far to date. So I'm happy about that. Um, gonna try and get a hip state of the hip hop union um written sometime in this month, um. But don't be surprised if I don't because it's just between you and me, um, we've got some interviews coming. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the interviews are back. We've got a couple of interviews coming, uh, in in the in the near future. Recording some uh later this week. Got a couple more in the end of January, early February. And I've got a couple more um, just waiting in the wings uh, on that front as well. So, you know, we've got a few, got a few interviews coming through. Um, I'm going to try and do regular episodes on top of uh, on top of the interviews instead of just having the interview cover for, you know, a week of news or whatever. Um, I'm going a, I'm to a try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try and give that a go. Uh, we'll see how that goes. And, uh, you know, in, in an effort of life thought... I might also throw the interviews on 5VPN Radio and, uh, you know, throw, throw a few of their tracks on there, you know, for the, for the RSI interview. So that'll be, that'll add to the experience, I feel, um, especially when we talk about certain, you know, songs or certain albums, whatever. So, yeah, that might be, that might be a good shout. I literally just thought of that, so that might be a good shout. Um, let me know if you, let me know if you fuck with that. Um, I don't know how many people will actually listen to What's Good via Spotify or if any of you have Spotify. I'm sure some of you do. Um, be, you know, be sure to five five p.m. radio if you haven't been if you haven't uh, done it yet. Um, send links is in the description as always. And um, yeah, with that said, let's jump right in, shall we? Let's let's let's, let's get loose. Let's get loose. Let's get some let's get some things going. So I have switched up the format a little bit. Um, just not as rigid as I usually keep it. I'm gonna try and just open up to be honest and just like whatever the segment's called, it's a segment. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't really matter what I because t- I'm gonna talk about what I want to talk about regardless. Um, but there's no point, you know, sticking it in a certain segment if I can't, if I can't, because, you know, as as it will be evident in one of the segments, um, 
it, it doesn't fit anyway, you know what I mean? But I, f- I still want to talk about it. So, uh, anyway, we'll, you'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, formalities before we begin. Oh, I know you guys missed that. Uh, email to us at IG, Discord link, all that, all that, all that in the full show notes. Please go peep the articles for yourselves and support the writers and make this show possible. And as I said for the first time in 2022, let the beat drop. And let's get into the show. In a week where Ghislaine Maxwell is found guilty on sex trafficking related charges, I think that was a five of the six charges or four of the five charges if I'm correct. I know she got no guilt on one of them so uh, uh, majority on that front so yay. Uh, Betty Wyatt dies aged 99. Max Julian star of the Mac dies aged 88. Winnie the Pooh, Hemingway, Agatha Christie novels and over 400k sound recordings enter US public domain and people are already uh, rinsing Winnie the Pooh (laughs) to death already so that's fun I guess. And uh, it's the anniversary of the Cap- U.S. Capitol riots. Happy anniversary, guys! Um, I I don't know why I make light of the subject because you know I'm not I'm not American. Doesn't affect me in any way. But um, you know, obviously, it's a harrowing thought for a lot of people. People died. You know what I mean? Um, but just as a I don't know, man. Just watching you, the U.S. as well as the U.K. as we'll as we will promptly get into on the U.K. front. Um, you know, watching the U.S. just slowly eat yourself you know it's kind of it's it's like it's like the ultimate reality tv really it's it's it's, it's absolutely fascinating honestly um but let's get into uh, let's get into the arts of 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 combined film and tv and music and just called it the arts because it's all the arts right um and i found this amazing website by the way it's called the conversation right and basically it's like articles by academics and shit man if I ain't if I ain't what's good material I don't know what is you know what I mean just like smart people talking about shit uh that you know that I can relate to and hopefully you guys can learn about and relate to maybe um or empathize with at minimum and uh, yeah man so this is by Mr. Les Johnson who is a visiting research fellow at Birmingham School of Media at Birmingham City University uh, and this is called Windrush Music and Memories: How Songs of Resistance and Celebration Have Shaped Who I Am. Nice little, nice little light one to get started for the new year, shall we? No, we'll get heavy later. Trust, trust me on that. Trust me. Uh, but let's let's get into this one. This is nice and light. Like me, you've probably found that listening to old songs can transport you back in time. Memories associated with music uh, flood black flood your brain, and so too can the associated emotions. I want to stop right there to say yes because I've been recently getting back into like drum and bass music, and just um uh, and uh, while the renovations were going today, as I record, um they had like uh the the guys outside had like a uh, you know just radio on and had just like classic dance bangers, you know, Stardust music sounds better, and shit like that it was just. Oh, just sent me back. It really just took me back uh, to the to the good old days. Anyway, let's jump. Let's continue. Research suggests that because emotions enhance memory processes and music evokes strong emotions, music could help us form memories, either about pieces of music or about experiences associated with particular music. I experienced this quite recently while I while I was rummaging through my father's record collection. I was surprised by how much of it affected my emotions. Memories from my childhood came rushing back. And I began to really understand the connection between memory and music. I could clearly see how these records have shaped who I am today. My dad was the son of a preacher, son of a preacher man, uh, from from Dundee Pen, a rural parish in Hanover, uh, Jamaica. Uh, he was part of the second wave of the Windrush generation. He came to Britain with a single aim, and a uh, Dol- Dolcemina, Dolcemina, D U L C I M E N A, Dolcemina. A type of suitcase. That's fascinating. What's the Dolce mean? I don't know what that is now. Okay, right. So yeah, basically it's just like a regular. It's it's a, it's a suitcase, right? It's just a regular suitcase. You know, you've got the buckles in the at either end handles, right? Um, and apparently you either call it a Dolce Mina or grip. I don't know if I'm saying Dolce Mina right. Um, but yeah, uh, there you go. That's uh, if, if <laughs> learn something new every day. Uh, let's continue on. 
The aim was to return home to Jamaica one day with his wife and build their dream home. He worked hard, first shift work, then nights, uh, meaning that in the 1960s we didn't see him much except weekends. Except a weekend, that's when the record collection came out. Although he was quite quite religious, his record collection was eclectic in the sense that, lo- that alongside the great thrillers Jim Reeves and Elvis, you would find uh, Fats Domino, Duke Ellington, Charles Mingus, Grant, uh, Grant Green, and even Jimi Hendrix, from whom I eventually learned to play the guitar by slowing down the 45 RPM vinyl to 33 RPM. My dad's uh, friend would bring fresh bun, a sweet spiced uh, bread, often. Uh, with added dry fruits, so I remember those. Coconut drops, definitely remember those. And hard dough bread with steamed rice and ca- uh, callaloo, uh, a popular Caribbean vegetable dish. Dad had a Grundig pr- radiogram. <laughs> Jeez, he's, he's, he's a crazy... I'm learning today. Uh, Grundig radiogram, something I have inherited. Uh, this was his sophisticated sound system. Mine is much more expensive, but now too often, uh, ironically, bypassed for my iPhone and Spotify. The post-Jamaican independent songs of the mid-1960s and 70s, like Feel No Pain, 007, Shantytown, You Can Get It If You Really Want, The Harder They Come, The Harder They Fall, were our favourites and stood for us at the time as as the personification of resistance songs. After all, the Jamaica was independent, so we could sing, dance and celebrate in the moment while still coexisting alongside the harsh realities of British society and institutional racism. Through music, we soon learned that British colonial links to Jamaica were not entirely severed. With the growing popularity of pirate radio music, song, uh, pirate radio music songs like Bob Marley's Get Up, Stand Up, and Nington Quesi uh, Johnson's album Forces of Victory, were getting to the masses, articulating the frustrations of racial injustice and unfair stop and search laws. Although my dad's record collection was inspirational, it was our family friend Herman who had the more radical collection. He had retired from serving in the army and owned a cool 1970 BMW 02E10. His record collection was much larger and varied. Big Youth, Jimmy Cliff, King Tubby, Pablo, Shaft, Curtis Mayfield, Rick James, the Isley Brothers, Gil Scott Heron, Simonide, uh, (laughs) slowly read that one, Miles Davis, John Coltrane, War, uh, Danibel, Walter Hawkins, and The Last Poets are just a few examples of the black music. He played from a large jazz, blues, and gospel collection. There was a constant theme of self-empowerment and fighting the power in his selections. Selector. Uh, we argued about this. Uh, whose approach to combating racial and social injustice was better? Malcolm X's or Martin Luther King Jr.'s? Both radical visionaries, Martin Luther King was often seen as a non-violent pacifist, while Malcolm X was characterized as the political renegade. Both stereotypes that were not necessarily correct. Uh, as pop music culture developed in the 60s and 70s, it evolved and it was often expressed as protest music. Artists like Neil Young, Bob Dylan, Simon and Garfunkel, Jody Mitchell, The Beatles, Rolling Stones, Lou Reed, and many other popular music groups of the period were ri- widely regarded as anti-establishment. This explosion of political and cultural expression in popular music culture was, in many cases, inspired by protest rhetoric from black musicians. Teenage rebellion, rebellion galvanized an explosion of new fashions, outlooks, and views, and this is actually, this actually coincide very, very well uh, with the last segment. So, um, just a way on that link. Uh, it'll be very obvious when I get to it. Uh, this coincided with the civil rights and black power movement in the U.S., which, through black music, articulated articulated struggles, innovations, and celebrations of black life. By looking at my dad's music collection, I understand more clearly that the music I listened to as a child has part, has in part shaped my personality. It also provided an important emotional shield and an internal power that helped arm me in the struggles that black people still experience. Maybe you might like to take a moment to think about your own experiences listening to music, how a song, playlist, album, cover, concert, or performance has impacted you and is still deeply rooted in your memory. I would love to hear what tracks or albums have influenced you and your life story, along with uh, along with why in the comments below. Um, well, well, Mr. Johnson, um, don't need to comment because I've got this. Um, this is actually very fascinating to me. Like, I, I'm really glad I picked this. I'm really glad I found this uh, in the nick of time. Because um, I really have been thinking about that a lot recently. Like I said, I've been... You know, going back to listen to like, uh, you know, just old school dance music that I used to, that my dad used to spin. Um, 
drama based that was kind of like the first thing I independently got into. And you know other stuff as well, you know, a little bit of little bit of dubstep here and there, you know I mean a little bit of a uh, a uh, little bit, you know, just a you know generic EDM, right? Um but you know, that was that was, that was really the first time where I, I explored for myself, like you know, experiencing people like, you know, Dead Mouse and Chasing Status and stuff like that. Um that was really that was really an important part and a, honestly the beginning of my own music journey on that front. And I think I've told that I've probably most likely told that story before, whether it's on here on DITD, but you know, that's always something that I constantly think about. And when you think about what you listen to now, you just if you go back just a little bit, you you soon find just roots towards, you know, uh maybe what your parents listen to or whatever. Um you know, my mum's heavy into Motown. We watched the Motown documentary a couple of months ago. That was really enjoyable. We both enjoyed that a, a whole heck of a lot. Um, so, you know, I have that connected tissue with my own mother. Uh, me and my pops enjoy just, you know, spinning history and stuff like that. Just old school R&B bangers, uh, you know, just dance jams, uh, a little bit of jungle, drum and bass, reggae, obviously. And uh, he's recent. Uh, well, I don't know what he's been most into recently but every time i'm in the car with him re- in recent uh months you know he's been spinning a bit of dub and um that's very fascinating as well because uh as soon as he started doing that i started doing that honestly like it just it just bled into me i was just like man this is kind of lit like <laughs> let me just get in some dub because i have listened to dub before but you know i never really got into it properly um so yeah and you know i've i've, I've only scratched the surface right you know i've listened to you know, a little bit scratch perry and stuff like that and you know dub re- recent dub remixes of certain songs i enjoy um uh Lee's rock and groove dub remix is just absolutely clean to me um that's just one example of many um but yeah man once you just it's so fascinating once you connect stuff um to that um you know i have i have artists that i connect people that i've connected people to for like uh, for you know for better or worse you know there are friends that i don't uh you know i don't talk i don't talk to anymore and uh for whatever reason and but whenever i listen to a certain artist they immediately come towards they they just come flooding back to me right though that that person comes from that back back flooding back to me you know just memories or whatever um and just you know then you think about in your head it's like i wonder how they're doing stuff like that right you know it's relationships you know what i mean it's just uh it's fa- it's a fascinating thing um and uh you know mr johnson comes through on a on a, a very specific line of memory and you know it's it's yeah, i get it like when i when i listen to certain stuff from like the 2000s i get basically get transported to just like um sitting in the bar of my dad's local sports club while he plays you know few um while he plays squash which is a top tier sport by the way um while he plays squash um i'm just in the bar uh chatting to the manager um shout out to sue and um you know just and and whatever was on was on right it was just music um yeah just yeah just whatever was on that point just pop music in the early 2000s basically i'll just get transported to that every time i listen to that kind of stuff uh sugar babes uh, you know <laughs> stuff like that uh uh, uh, you know, just Jay, you know, just stuff like that. Anyway, um, but yeah, man, me- music and memories is just absolutely fascinating. And once you get into, especially, you know, your f- your parents' like record collection, if they have one, oh my gosh, like, the the memories start flowing back. Like not not for you personally, but like just thinking about what they rated, right? Um, is 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 so fascinating and uh i love that connective tissue that music brings i really do it's, it's one of my favorite things about music um but yeah man shout out to miss johnson on that one really got me thinking and that's a great start to the uh, great start to the first show of the year jump on to a tech story now um and we're talking about apple here um who are now three worth three trillion dollars which is just um superbly illogical number to me it's just just like okay (laughs) like you you spending that or like how does that how does that work like i i just don't really care for market value and stuff like that but it is it's a fascinating number i guess um but this basically gets into 
Apple's, um, I guess, uh, fingers in many pies attitude at the moment and uh, wondering what they're actually going to do with that um, and if they're going to be, you know, in it, <laughs> you know, so to speak. Um, so, anyway, let's jump right in. Now, this is uh, via The Economist. Uh, it's called The Accident of Mogul. Uh, the three trillion tech firm is not playing the same game as its rivals. Uh, or it's co- actually called uh, Just How Big in Media Does Apple Want to Be? Uh, so let's, let's jump right in. Uh, as violins as violins play mournfully, John Stewart, an American comic, makes a mock emotional appeal to viewers. "Quote: Every year, thousands of high, uh, thousands of hours of high quality content go and watch." He says seriously, because good hardworking people don't know how to find Apple TV Plus. Unquote. Uh, the world's most valuable company can afford a few jokes at its own expense. In the past year, the tech colossus has raked in $366 billion in revenue, a third more than in 2020. On January 3rd, its market capitalization briefly exceeded $3 trillion. Uh, the mere millions that it, yeah, the mere billions that it is investing in media, including a new television show hosted by Mr. Stewart, representing a pocket change to the Silicon Valley giant. Yeah, some 300 miles away in Hollywood, where executives y- used to snigger about the uh, delineates. No, no, dili- 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 I have no idea how to say that word. D-I-L-E-T-T. Huh, the fuck is that? That's, that's a crazy word. Oh, I'll look it up later. Um, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll just skip the word on and see. From big tech land up uh, north... Uh, Apple's dabbling in media is no joke, though it lags well behind Netflix and the like. Uh, Apple has enough money to ride out the increasingly expensive streaming wars. Today is back in the media game, and a, and a bigger force than Mrs. Stewart's joke implies. Apple Music, launched in 2015, is the second largest streamer after Spotify. Apple TV Plus, now two years old, is the fourth largest video service outside China uh, by the number of subscribers according to OM. Omdia, uh, a data data company. In the past couple of years, Apple has made smaller media bets, including uh, Arcade, a subscription gaming package, News Plus, a publishing bundle, and Fitness Plus, which offers uh, video aerobics classes. There is talk of an audiobook service later this year. Uh, yeah, so the free the free above it in video is obviously Netflix, uh, Disney Plus, and uh, Amazon Prime Video, and it's not close. It's really not close. Uh, Apple TV on the on the on the dial uh, is basically at like I don't know forty forty mil, I think I think it's million, uh, and then uh, Amazon and Disney are kind of neck and neck, uh, just over a hundred, and uh, Netflix is over two hundred. So just so you know, on the landscape, they they have uh, several charts here on the on the article itself. So you know, like I said. Go peep for yourself, and uh, you'll get to peep those lovely graphs the economists do. Anyway, like Amazon, another tech giant with sideline uh, with a sideline of media, uh, Apple has been able to roll out uh, its offerings more quickly in more countries than most of its Hollywood rivals, which have had uh, to build direct-to-the-consumer businesses from scratch. It can afford to be generous with free trials, as a third of Apple TV Plus subscribers pay for the service. Omdia believes it has had some hits, notably Ted Lasso. Uh, which won a string of Emmy Awards in September, but it lacks a back catalogue, leading to higher rates of customer churn. The smaller competitors like Paramount Plus, part of Icom CBS, and Peacock from NBC Universal have limited new offerings, but decade-old libraries. Old media firms have been puzzled uh, by Apple's on-off sorties into their territory, uh, which sometimes seems half-hearted. Winning at streaming depends mainly on splurging on content, but deep-pocketed Apple spent just over $2 billion on film and TV in 2021 against Amazon's 9 and Netflix's 14. Estimates and peer, an, estimates and peer anal, analysis, a research company, uh, it doesn't bother to make, uh, it doesn't bother to market its efforts much, and although Media Land has cooed at the executives that Apple has poached, such as Jane, Jamie Ehrlicht and Zach Van Amberg from Sony and Richard Plepler, <laughs> Plepler, great name, uh, from HBO, Silicon Valley insiders say that Apple keeps its own top tech people on their other projects. Indeed, while Hollywood frets about Apple's next move, many in Silicon Valley wonder why the company is in media at all. None of the markets is a big prize for the world's most valuable firm. The entire global recorded music industry uh, had sales of $22 billion in 2020, less than Apple made just from selling iPads. Oh, Jesus Christ, the music industry is fucked. Like, that's just 
you know that's just crash trash to think about you know just like i was talking about music and you know how deep it can be to somebody and then you know just apple's just out selling the entire music industry with fucking ipads uh, in about a month, Apple generates uh, as much revenue as Netflix makes in a year. Apple's TV businesses uh, business depends on buying shows rather than extracting rents from others' uh, creations as it did in the iTunes days, uh, or as it still does in the App Store. And the lock-in effect on consumers is weak since Apple's main media services are available on all platforms. And I just got Apple Plus on Apple TV Plus on my Skybox. Um, I obviously would need Apple TV Plus for it to use it, but it is fascinating how that just popped on there um, out of nowhere. So big up to SkyQ. Um, don't agree with your price hike, but you know, whatever. Um, Apple's renewed interest in media is is best explained by the transformation in the company's scale, which radically changes the calculation of which side projects are worthwhile. Fifteen years ago, when Netflix started streaming. Uh, the billions involved in running a film studio would have represented represented close to double-digit chunk of Apple's annual revenue. Back then, Silicon Valley executives were flying down to Los Angeles thinking, we've got a big checkbook, we could go buy a bunch of content, says ben- Benedict Evans, a tech analyst and former venture capitalist. Uh, another quote, and they would go and have the first meeting in LA, and the LA people would t- tell them their price. At which point, uh, the tech people will go home in 2021. Apple TV Plus's estimate content budget represented 0.6% of company revenues. Play money, as Ms. Evans uh, puts it. The cost of running a studio can therefore be justified by what are only modest be- uh, modest benefits to Apple. Streaming subscriptions may not lock people in as strongly as iTunes purchases did, but Apple's various uh, services still sink meat hooks into customers, making them spend more time with their devices and making it a bit more inconvenient to leave Apple's ecosystem, says Nick Lytle, a former Spotify executive. The iPhone itself, which generated $192 billion uh, in sales uh, in the past year, more than half of Apple's total revenue, uh, is sold as a sort of subscription, points out Mr. Evans. Anything that reduces churn among iPhone subscribers by even a small amount is likely to pay for itself. I think that's an important paragraph. I'll put a pin in that. I think that's the point of this whole thing, to be honest. But uh, let's continue on. Uh, nearly finished. Uh, media also makes good marketing. Producing films to Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks revo- reinforces a- Apple's premium brand. Partnership with pop stars keep it cool, and at a time in Silicon Valley is under attack from mon- monopol- monopolistic, monopolistic, monopoly basically practices invasion of privacy, subversion of democracy, and more. Apple is churning out worthy podcasts by Malala Yousafzai, uh, Nobel laureate, and teaching fitness routines to children. Not many companies can think of a film studio as public relations as a public relations arm. A three trillion dollar company can quote. Apple is not playing the same game as many of these other media competitors, says Julia Alexander of Parrot Analytics, another data firm. I love how they have to say it like analytics. It doesn't really, doesn't say it all quite, quite. They just have to say another data firm. Yeah, thanks, mate. Uh, for one trick rivals like Netflix, it is an uncomfortably asymmetric competition, yet Apple's bro- uh, broader priorities can also hamstring its media ambitions. Apple TV Plus uh, lack of a library could be solved by buying someone else's. The firm has been touted as a potential buyer of small studios like Lionsgate, as well as giant ones like Disney. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Right, so I want to pause there right, just a little bit because I swear, uh, who did I have a conversation with? Uh, I think it was with the ISOS guys, a couple of them, uh, of, of like, who eats who? Like, does Disney eat up everybody or does Amazon eat up everybody? The fact that The Economist just put Apple might eat up Disney or just or like you know just a potential buyer for Disney what what do you mean like that's just crazy to think about but anyway uh but Apple may be wary of provoking America's uh FTC Federal Trade Commission which has its site on Silicon Valley quote if you're Apple and the FTC is looking at big tech the last thing you want to do is make a huge acquisition notes Miss Alexander Lena Khan, the FTC's tech bashing head is examining Amazon's recent 8.5 billion purchase of MGM studios Never mind that the target is a relative titler in the in a fragmented market. Uh, as companies vie for control of tech's uh, next commanding heights, uh, from decentralized Web three to virtual reality, excuse me, uh, attracting the attention of regulators by buying old TV episodes could be a strategic error. For as long as they continue to help sell its devices and burnish, burnish its brand, Apple will keep dripping investment into its media services. Doing so will get more expensive. 
global spending on video content will exceed 230 billion in 2022, according to Ampere, a data firm. I'm joking, I didn't say that. <laughs> Nearly double what it what it was a decade ago. Our smaller competitors are outspent and give up. Uh, Apple's position could even could even strengthen. But given its bigger ambitions in other industries, it, in media, Apple is likely to be content to stick to its role as a supporting actor. Yeah, I mean, just... Okay, let me go back to this one paragraph, because I feel like this is kind of the point for me personally as it pertains to the whole thing, as as to what um, they're kind of going for here. Uh, where is it now? can't even find it. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. Right, so, yeah, the iPhone itself, right? So... This is, this is a, there was a good video by, shout to Marcus Brownlee, um, a tech YouTuber. He did a, he did a video on the, at the Apple, or, uh, the Apple, Apple's ecosystem and how they just, you know, slowly, you know, say if you just copped an iPhone, right? It's the first time you've ever been on an Apple device, right? So they're gonna, you know, they, they might entice you to maybe get a watch, right? And then. And maybe you need an iPad with that to go with that. Oh, look how look how quickly it connects with everything else. Oh, you need some you need some AirPods. You need some you need some stuff to listen to. Here's some AirPods. Or how about the AirPods Max? How about those big ass cans? You know what I mean? Not studio quality and all that. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, maybe a laptop to go with. You see where I'm getting that right? So clearly on this front, it's just like even though um. Even though Apple TV Plus doesn't seem large, right? It's the fourth biggest in the US or outside China, as the, the Economist put it. Um, even though it's so behind the top three, it doesn't really matter because they have a lot of other things. They have a lot of fingers in other pies, right? And it's the same with Amazon in a way. You know, they have the web services, which, you know, basically controls the back end of, you know, every fucking website on the internet. That's... Um, I'm being exaggerative, but not by much. Go look it up. Uh, you know, and then Netflix and uh, what's the other one? Disney Plus. Well, Disney's Disney, right? They have, you know, they're kind of, as it pertains to TV and film, obviously everything, everything is pretty much Disney these days. Um, I've, I can't remember the last film I saw in the cinema that wasn't Disney. And that's just, uh, that just pisses me off. But I'm going to see Matrix Revolutions, hopefully, uh, Re- Resurrections, hopefully uh, by uh, by the end of the week. So, there's that. There you go. That'll break the chain. Um, but yeah, Apple doesn't need to really go ham on it, right? Obviously, you have Ted Lasso, and that's fine, right? I guess, right? And the only, honestly, the only thing I've wanted Apple TV Plus for is the new Peanuts uh, <laughs> animations. I love the look of them. They look so good, um, and they look wholesome as always. And I just love Peanuts. I love Charlie Brown, Snoopy. I love that gang. Um, so yeah, that's the. That's on, I'm not even be. I'm not even lying. That's the only thing I'd actually get Apple TV Plus for. But I the, the 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 guys, I barely use Netflix, right? I have Netflix, I rarely use it, right? So why why unless I'm like unless my job is to watch TV and film, I'm not getting several subscriptions, right? I really I don't I don't need to. Like uh, you know, I've got Netflix, my sister has Amazon Prime Video, so I, I like to use that now and again depending on what I want to watch, right? Um but yeah, pff, honestly, you know, it doesn't it Honestly, the streaming wars shit doesn't really matter to me um, in the grand scheme of things, uh, personally. But obviously, it makes, uh, as John Stewart said at the start of it, like there's a lot of times where you're just missing shit because you're just not on it. And why would you be on it? Why would you want to pay for however much a month just to watch one show? Right? It just doesn't. It seems so illogical. Um, and if you're going to be on it, you want to be on it for a while. You want to make it worth your while. And, uh, you know, apart from maybe Netflix, I've, I don't feel like the others have anything that substantial. Obviously, Disney have the Marvel Originals and stuff like that. So, you know, if you're into that, then clearly you're on it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. For me, not not too hyped about it. Um, but And Apple doesn't need to be. No, Apple can be lukewarm. They can afford to be lukewarm with all this, right? They've they got the morning show. They've got Ted Lasso. They've got the Peanuts as well. Right? They've got small shit. Uh, the fact they might do audiobooks is very fascinating. Um, because Spotify is starting to do that now as well. Uh, I'm still on Audible, so I'll probably still stay on that to be honest. But um, it is interesting how they're branching out. But that's all. But honestly, it's all just part of the ecosystem, right? If you have one thing and it's, and you can all, and you can have it all on your iPhone, 
that's all gravy. The rest literally sell the iPhone and the rest of it is pretty much gravy. Okay, right, so let's hop into our current affairs, uh, which I was going to call it instead of life. Um, and uh, this is an article from 13th of December, uh, obviously 21. So, you know, so it's, it's a few, it's, a, it's nearly a month old, but I had to bring it, I had to bring it forward um, because I could not let this subject go uh, out of everything. Honestly, out of everything that went by uh, in during my what's good hiatus, this was the most important thing to me personally. Um, politically anyway in, in terms of current affairs this is just a uh, th- this blows my mind how this is actually becoming a thing like, it's, it's so close I think it's gone back in the House of Lords this particular bill Um, so yeah it's close it's so close Um, so it's called uh, this is via the byline uh, via byline times it's by Miss uh, Dr. Maria uh, Norris and it's called the nationality and borders bill is a legacy of empire Um, so yeah for a just to jump right in because I don't feel like this is being talked nearly enough. I'm just not seeing this on any news, like only on independent media. Honestly, it's, it's crazy to me. Let's let's jump right in. Uh, when the House of Commons voted through the Nationality and Borders Bill, MPs made it clear that British politics is deeply embedded in the ideology of white nationalism. The bill contains many new pieces of legislation that have proven controversial, including criminalising people who enter the UK, quote-unquote, illegally, and perhaps most controversial of all, giving the government powers to revoke br- people's British citizenship. Now, with all the shit going on with the Windrush scandal and everything and everything on that part, uh, this is me talking, by the way, um, with all the Windrush scandal uh, and all that shit, right, this bill makes it fine. That blows my fucking mind. Uh, it really does. It really blows my mind. Um, so, anyway, let's jump right, Let's continue on. It is shocking, perhaps, but perhaps not surprising. In the UK today, immigration policy is a continuation of British colonial power. Uh, the world system of nation-states is reinforced and reconstructed every day by the existence of passports, national sports teams, and the ever-present national flag. Nationalism sets up the requirement that the political apparatus of the state needs to reflect the people. Democracies are thus ex- exclusionary entities, communities bound by territory and membership. In countries with a history of empire, this membership is also deeply racial. As Nadine El Enani uh, argues in her book *Bordering Britain: Law, Race, and Empire*, their colonial power is an explicit white supremacist power, uh, with the characterization of people into those with and without w- without rights of entry, reproducing colonial practices of racial ordering. When the bounded community is underwritten by white nationalism, we have immigration policies which dehumanize, degrade, and enact violence on the bodies of racialized others. Capital O, others, by the way. Uh, the Nationality Borders Bill is the perfect encapsulation of this. It is primarily, primarily an anti-refugee bill, which will lead to misery and death. Of course, that misery and death already exists. Last month, uh, in November, obviously, uh, 31 people died after attempting to cross the channel in a boat, including a pregnant woman and three children. This tragedy was a uh, direct result of an immigration system that dehumanizes and seeks to criminalize human beings simply because of where they have come from. From the employment of Dan uh, O'Mahony as clandestine channel threat commander, is that a real t- is that a real job title? The capital lettering makes it as if it's official, and I'm I'm really confused. Clandestine channel threat co- that can't possibly be a real title. Fuck. Anyway. To threats uh, to use jet skis and wave machines to turn back people crossing the channel. Um, the Home Secretary has committed to making this uh, route into the UK unviable. But making the route unviable does not deter people desperate to c- escape persecution, conflict and violence. It simply makes the route, le- route less safe. Do that and people die. This is what the British immigration system does. It distributes chances at, at life and death. And it, all, and it does so in a racialized manner, so that those uh, racialized as white almost never a risk a death of, of death at the border. The writer, uh, I'm going to say Achille, I'm, 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 I'm assuming it's Achille, uh, in Bebe calls this necropolitics, the calculus behind who gets to live and who is expendable. 
is a framework which illuminates how the government assigns value to human life, including in a racialized matter. Nowhere is this racialized value more evident than the, in Clause 9 of the Nationality and Borders Bill, which exempts the government from having to give notice after depriving someone of British citizenship. Uh, the powers to deprive someone of their nationality were narrowed in the Immigration Act 2014. Since then, the powers to remove British citizenship can be used against those that have a recent history of immigration, or those who have the ability to obtain foreign uh, citizenship by other means such as marriage. This is because these are the citizens who can, at least theoretically, claim citizenship somewhere else. As such, British citizen. <laughs> Every time I say British, I keep, I keep, I, I, I trip up with the fact that I keep saying British, but it's just how I talk, man. I can't help it. Uh, British British citizens who have no history of immigration and can therefore only claim British citizenship. Uh, are effectively protected from this power. This is a system of hi- this is a system of hierarchical uh, and racialized citizenship. With the recent posts, uh, recent reports showing that two in every five people from non-white ethnic minority groups would be eligible for deprivation of citizenship, compared with just one in twenty white people. It is by design that for British citizens of minority ethnic groups. I'm just going to continue on. I can't. I can't. Be asked to put the T on it. Uh, their citizen is to, to citizens and British citizens. Like it's it's so clumpy to me. I have to like streamline it. Um, I'll start again. It is by design that for British citizens of minority ethnic groups, their citizenship is never as secure. It is always conditional. In her book Hostile Environment: How Immigrants Became Scapegoats, my good fellow charts how the hostile environment is not a recent construction, but is as old as the British nation-state built on empire. British transition from empire to a nation state questioned the Britishness of former non-white imperial subjects. Through successive immigration and nationality re- legislation in the 60s, 70s and 80s, the rights of Commonwealth c- citizens to enter and remain in Britain were ended. The concept of partiality introduced in 1971 Immigration Act and later embedded in citizenship rights to in the British Nationality Act 1981 made whiteness intrinsic to British identity, requiring that only those born in Britain or with a parent born in Britain had the right to citizenship. This allowed for the continued accommodation of white Commonwealth citizens into the British nation-state while disproportionately and systematically excluding black and Asian Commonwealth citizens with their belonging and their Britishness always in question. The result of these policies is that racialized citizens, those of us whose otherness is visible, carry the border with us. From the cutting but frequent uh, where are you really from questions, uh, to the requirement to prove your citizenship to, the access, to access the NHS, or rent a house, the border never leaves us. Section 51 of the Nationality and Borders Bill I'm going to call it the NBB, by the way, if uh, she ever says it again, just to streamline. Imposes a four-year prison sentence on anybody who is unable to renew their immigration status. The fuck? These are people who have committed no crime, who have harmed no one, who will be punished for existing irregularly. Imagine that, right? Imagine that. Like, of all the... The fact, the fact that we are prisons and not even that in great of a state, and have never really been in that great of a state, and you're willing to prison imprison people because they can't... They're unable to renew their shit? Like, that's just illogical. Prison's going to be... Oh, Jesus Christ. Anyway, the stress of anxiety of living uh, in uh, a hostile environment is that is the constant companion of the racialized citizen living in a white supremacist state. One cannot live in a hostile environment and remain healthy. The toxicity filters through and manifests itself through increased nastiness, division, xenophobia, and racism. But it can be challenged if we stop obfuscating, I love that word, uh, and using uh, euphemisms. It is time we call the NBB and the British immigration system what it is. A white supremacist post-colonial form of social control causing untold harm and human suffering. And that is just a perfect finish. Absolute masterstroke of a finish. Um, Just a little flick of the pen right there just to finish off. I love it. This is a real bill, guys. This is this is a real bill that is going through the House of Lords as we speak. And if it finishes on that front, and if it's put through on that front, then it's made into law. And I, 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 I'm honestly lost at how heinous this is 
Um, and this kind of adds on to another thing that's going on uh, behind the scenes in the government where uh, they're basically stopping protesting as well. Um, literally, a headline I saw around New Year's Day was that, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, Pre Patel basically woke up on New Year's Day um, going, you know what? My new year's, my new year's resolution is to roll over is to steamroll every fucking protester and every fucking immigrant trying to get into our country. Uh come hell or high water. And <laughs> she she's literally doing that, man. She's literally doing it. She, I mean, fucking respect on one front the fact she's, you know, sticking to the gun. She's 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 believe her, believe if she's saying it, believe it. Like she ain't bullshitting. At least at least she ain't bullshitting like the rest of the fucking government. But damn man. Wow, just the absolute callousness she goes about with it is absolutely just inhuman. It really is. Um, this whole bill stinks, man. Oh, it really fucking stinks. This whole government stinks. If you didn't need, if you needed another reason, yet another reason. Um, <laughs> I have literally no words for it. I really don't. Um, I I really hope it doesn't go through as a bill, obviously, but um, I I wouldn't be surprised if it does. To be completely honest with you, uh, I people, this is the problem with this is the problem with Britain. This is the problem with um many white post-colonial countries, nation states. Um, they don't care. They don't care if you if you, if you ain't white. They don't give a fuck. They they just don't give a fuck about you. Um, what, what was that? What was that bit of the paragraph? Um, I actually, I've, I've, I never thought about it in this fashion, but the way she worded it was very fascinating. Of just, uh, you know, the there we go. Uh, the 1971 Immigration Act and the British Nationality Act in 81, right? Making whiteness intrinsic to British identity, and uh, you know, you can be, you could be white passing in Jamaica, right? And if you have, uh, if you had a parent that was born in Britain, bully for you, you're good. But every other, every other dark-skinned uh, black person in Jamaica, you're fucked. How is that fair? So if you wonder why people like me and other people talk about race so much, it's because of this shit. It's because it's deeply rooted in the bills that are going past in 2022, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you know I mean, it doesn't. It it really baffles my fucking mind, and I just wonder how many of my people are in like jeopardy here. Like, is my boy D in jeopardy? Jeopardy? Because he got his citizenship uh, a couple years ago, uh, from Jamaican to British passport. But since you can revoke that British passport, then what's going on there? Like, is he fucked? I don't remember. I don't, I think the last time he lived in Jamaica was like when he was like ten or something, if I remember correctly, or earlier than that. I need to check with him. But yeah paraphrasing um but he was young like he's lived in britain most of his life right so and there's you know, that's the story of the windrush scandal um you know we've talked about that before and yeah i just don't get how like they're getting scrutinized for this for stuff like for stuff like the windrush scandal yet they make a whole bill that basically justifies it or that makes it basically makes it legal like do you not understand how fucking callous that is it's just, oh, yoy. I don't know, man. I don't know where to go with that. Um, but I really wanted to talk. I just really wanted to just hail it up as something that's, that might be going down um, in the future because this deserves to be on every single, every single word um, of uh, where we're going as a nation. Honestly, like as it pertains to our own people and people wanting to come through, right? It just. <laughs> I, the the inhuman nature of it is just um, it really really boggles the mind. So we finish off on our final segment uh, based in the arts, and this is all about uh, well, funny enough. <laughs> black artists in the 1980s in Thatcher's Britain so you know there's a couple of links here between the previous segment obviously the first segment in another, in another way as well um, so this is called We Were the AYBs the Angry Young Blacks the art movement that rocked Thatcher's Britain uh, this is by Alex Mistlin uh, uh, via The Guardian 
And uh, yeah, let's just jump right in. Shortly after Margaret Thatcher became Prime Minister in May 79, Eddie Chambers made an artwork called Destruction of the National Front. Then a 19-year-old student in Wolverhampton, Chambers reconfigured the Union Jack as a swastika before tearing it into fragments across four panels. The image stands as a defiant rebuke to a resurgent far-right, evoking the anger many black Britons felt at the time. Uh, the work was emblematic of the Black Art Group, a ra radical association of young black artists founded by Chambers in 79. The group stylized black, uh, BLK, um, and pronounced black, obviously, uh, aimed to combat racism with work that focused on the experiences of being black in Thatcher's brim, while promoting a distinctly black British political identity. Although short-lived, it only lasted for five years. Uh, the group casts a long shadow over British art through its influence on subsequent generations of black artists and its impact on contemporaries such as uh, Lubina Himid and Sonia Boyce. Uh, more than 40 years on from the group's foundation, Keith Piper, 60, still looks every inch the artist in his red flannel shirt and goatee. Malta born and raised in Birmingham, he now lives in London, uh, though his accent is still unmistakably brummy. Piper met Chambers in 1979 while studying at Lancaster Polytechnic Coventry, now known as Coventry University. Quote, I overheard him talking about a show, he says, referring to Black Art and Dunn, uh, held at uh, Wolverhampton Art Gallery. I thought, he's very serious, but we had a lot in common because we were the only two black students on the course, unquote. Chambers quickly set about recruiting black students from West Midlands art schools, and soon their ranks grew. By 1982, Dominic Dawes, uh, Claudette Johnson, Wendell Leslie, uh, Ian Palmer, Donald Rodney, and Marlene Smith had joined. Quote, uh, quote, Eddie was a great organiser, says Piper, but we all had our own specific creative concerns, unquote. The, group, uh, the group's work features prominently in a new exhibition at Tate Britain, Life Between Islands, which focuses on the work of British artists of Caribbean heritage. Life Between Islands was co-curated by a director of Tate Britain, Alex Farquharson, uh, that's an outstanding name, Farquharson, and uh, David A. Bailey, an artist and contemporary of the black group. You can see how their work influenced subsequent generations, not least uh, the black YBAs Chris O'Feely, Yinka uh, Shonibear, and Steve McQueen. Chambers, now Professor of Art History at African oh, and Af African Diaspora, Art at the University of Texas at Austin epitomized Black's uh, political approach. How much longer you bastards from 1983 directly challenged activities of Barclays Bank in South Africa at a time when Margaret Thatcher was refusing to impose sanctions on the apartheid re regime. The collage features uh, the bank's logo alongside pages from the Financial Times and a widely publicized image of the parents carrying their dead of parents carrying their dead child after the 1976. Uh, Soweto uprising to illustrate British complicity in the humanity of apartheid. Piper in turn incorporated text into pieces, uh, pieces such as 1983's The Body Politic in order to articulate complex narratives of dehumanisation and torture for which he took inspiration from the work of Gavin Janjez uh, Jan um, and Rashid Arine. Uh, the work features two naked and headless bodies, a white woman and a black man, with identical text about, alongside each figure. Quote, To you, I was always just a body, Piper says. I needed the audience to understand uh, the hostile scrutiny uh, black bodies came under from the white majority. Unquote. The Greece work was always rooted in the politics of the era. Quote, Wolverhampton was one of a number of places to be decimated by the experiment Thatcher was undertaking, says Piper. It was the usual tensions of the 1980s, far right on the rise, anti-apartheid, Greenham Common, policing, new crossfire. It was a very politicised time, and that was my and that was core to my perspective as a young black man. Unquote. This febrile, I think I think it's febrile or febrile, um, atmosphere was evident in the reception the group received. Uh, they were immediately polarising, a breath of fresh air in some quarters, an unwelcome source of ag aggravation in others. Quote. We were surrounded by a lot of reactionary forces, people who are openly hostile, says Piper, uh, unquote, at a 983 showing of the Pan-African con uh, connection at uh, Herbert in Coventry. Complaints from a security guard about the exhibition subject matter forced the gallery to erect a warning notice outside the entrance, not suitable for people under 18. <laughs> Even on the left, uh, the group's work was largely dismissed. A note left in the visitor's book read, quote, angry, too angry, dot, 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 more Marxist approach needed. 
uh, in The Guardian, Irene McManus wrote, their work is really just a collection of political posters. Ouch. Uh, but some black members uh, are now considered innovative. Donald Rodney was a leading figure who died in 1998 at just 36. Quote, Donald was a very active and energetic person, says Piper, who shared a Nottingham flat with the artist in the early 80s and is now a trustee of his estate. Completed shortly before his death, in the house of my father is a close-up photograph of Rodney's hand uh, in his uh, Ronnie's hand in his palm is a tiny sculpture of a house made of pieces of his own skin. Uh, Rodney suffered from sickle cell anemia, an extremely painful blood condition that is particularly common in people of African or Caribbean heritage. The artist and curator Marlene Smith was 18 when she joined the group and believes they shared a vision. Quote, we were very coherent, both in our term, terms of pan-Africanism, but also in wanting to make the black lives visible. There was a lot of protests in the work. But that's what overlooked. Some that's what's overlooked sometimes is the humanity. But what's overlooked sometimes is humanity. Unquote. Pan-Africanism, the idea that African peoples and diaspora share a common history and identity, often symbolised through the colours red, gold, and green, was a guiding principle for the group. Quote: We want to illustrate the connection between Victorian colonialism and the struggle that uh, we had as teenagers to find our place. Says Smith. We were all children of Windrush, but for me, Pan-Africanism wasn't just about making sense of the world, but also making, uh, also about making sense of me, unquote. The movement can only provide limited answers, however, quote, Pan-Africanism really fed me, but it couldn't help me understand the role gender played in my identity. We were devouring books in an attempt to make sense of that time, uh, unquote. But she mentions Ain't I a Woman, Black Women and Feminism by Bell Hooks, who died last month as well as the work of Toni Morrison, Alice Walker. Smith's 1985 uh, sculptural installation, Good Housekeeping, depicts a black woman beneath the words, quote, uh, My mother opens the door at 7am. She is not bulletproof, unquote. The work was a direct response to the police shooting of Cherry Gross, uh, who was permanently left, para- left permanently paralyzed by the incident that incited the 1985 Brixton uprising. Smith remembers the first meeting of Black at Chambers' uh, parents' house. Quote, Cordette Johnson did an absolutely jaw-dropping of a job of showing her work in relation to the canon. Picasso, Rubens, Manitz, Olympia. She showed us how black women were seen as decorative in art history, either as exotica or evidence of how wealthy someone was, unquote. In a statement for the Pan-African connection, Johnson wrote, quote, while the black woman experiences uh, oppression on their on the grounds of her sex, sexuality, and race, there is not yet a word that describes the specific and deliberate nature of this oppression. As she says now, the word intersectionality didn't exist at the time. Unquote. Johnson's career stalled uh, in the 1990s, but has restarted in earnest. Last month, she presented a solo exp- exhibition, "Still Here," at Hollybush Gardens in London. Quote, the oppression of black women was a hot potato. It could be seen as divisive. People would ask me where I was putting my energy in terms of fighting for change. Are you black or are you a woman? Johnson's 2017 work, Reclining Figure, was emblematic, uh, as she says, of, quote, the subtle and dramatic difference that occurs when the person doing the gazing was a black female herself, unquote. This almost life-size image depicts an exhausted black woman lying horizontal, quote, my mum used to adopt a similar position on a sofa after she'd been on her feet all day. I had in mind that poignant moment where she, when she finally wasn't doing something for someone else. Uh, of uh, of black, she says, in the 1980s we were seen as people passing through. So much of our work was about making the point that we were here to stay. Unquote. Sonia Boyce was a contemporary, uh, as was the future Turner Prize winner uh, Lubaina Hamid. Uh, Smith and Johnson both mentioned the Thin Black Line, a show curated by Hamid at the Institute for Contemporary Arts in 85, as the high-water mark of the uh, black British eye in the period. Uh, the show featured key works from 11 black female artists, including Johnson, Smith and Boyce, along with him and herself. Quote, That show was like storming the Citadel, says Johnson. Lubina had gone uh, to the Royal College and was trying to find black artists. She curated, she wrote, she was like a magnet uh, gathering different eyes together. In terms of pervasive, pa- persuasive power, she was very similar to Eddie Chambers, unquote. Uh, Black's members uh, were not only defined by their youth. At 25, Johnson was the oldest when the group disbanded, but also by their art school education. Black wasn't outside of art, says Johnson. We were full of hope that we could change things, that our art could mobilize black people and inspire white people to see us differently. 
We were trying to bring in a new audience that hadn't been served by those galleries before, unquote. Beyond Black, 1980s Britain was a fertile ground for a thriving ecosystem of black artists, now 74. Tam Joseph was a forerunner and a contemporary of Black. Sitting in his paint and dust strewn studio, uh, he explains how his childhood in Domin... Is it Dominica or Dominica? I forget how to say it. I think it's Dominica, because Dominican Republic and Dominica, I think that's how you do it. Uh, lends, his work, uh, uh, lends his work a different, a different emphasis. Uh, I am Windrush, he says. I didn't experience growing up as a black child in England, unquote. By way of explaining his approach, he says, quote, I love taking the mickey as he points to, and he points to a bubble wrap painting of Jimi Hendrix as uh, Franz Hull's Laughing Cavalier. Hendrix looks more like a cavalier than a fat white man, he says. Another painting, 1982, uh, Spirit of Carnival, encapsulates the legacy of police aggression towards British Caribbean communities. The image features a carnival masquerader alone in a sea of British police. Joseph was inspired by his experience at the 1976 Nine Hill Carnival where a riot broke out after police clashed with revelers. Debates around education, housing and the police were central to the work of uh, many black artists in the 1980s. Joseph's 1983 work UK school report depicts the passage of a black child through the British education system in three portraits captioned good at sports, likes music and needs surveillance. Fuck. Okay. The director and artist Steve McQueen uh, has mentioned uh, the work in reference to his year three photo series. While at our school, Denzel Forrester was uh, charged uh, charged with in using insulting language after he was apprehended outside a jewellery shop in London. Quote, they thought I was casing the joint, but I was just drawing it. They came over to see what I was doing and my expensive college camera attracted their attention. Uh, unquote. Forrester frequently painted excuse me, nightclubs in his early career and says he only started painting about the police after my friend Winston Rose was killed in 81. I can never have done three wicked men without my knowledge of what happened to Winston. I really had to work hard uh, to capture the darkness of that London street, unquote. Born in Grenada, Forrester moved to Britain age 11. Everywhere was dark and grey, he says. I never painted in the West Indies, but I studied painting because my school in Stoke Newington had an art room. It was the only time you were allowed to do what you want. Once I got into art school, I knew there was no stopping me. The Black Art Group disbanded shortly after the second uh, National Black Art Convention in 84. Most left West Midlands after their art degrees concluded, primarily heading to London for gallery work or postgraduate study. Quote, it was Eddie's founding impulse that brought us all together, says Piper. When he lost that impulse, we all went our separate ways. The YBAs took the DIY strategies we used in the alternative spaces and applied them in some of the biggest institutions, says Marley Smith. We were the AYBs, angry young blacks, she jokes. Picking up on this theme, Johnson says, We wanted to be more political than previous generations of black eyes. We used the N-word, and we were unafraid to reference violence, lynchings, and slavery in our collective resistance to the Thatcher government. Sometimes I'm surprised his work still seems to speak, speak to people more than 30 years later, but then struggles, uh, but then the struggles were articulate, we were articulating other struggles of many still. Says Piper, uh, we were serious about seizing space and time in the venues that we had that had previously only been open to white artists. We were also just young kids egging each other on and having a good time. We were supposed to be talking about the logistics of shows, but we mostly fight about politics and music, mainly reggae, mod, ska, revival uh, and two-tone in those days. It was a bizarre multi-layered era, but a very important one in terms of the con consolidation of black communities in this country unquote uh, looking back piper thinks it was remarkable how fully formed the group's vision was uh, on, at the outset by the time chambers applied for degree courses the destruction of the national front was already under his belt quote i remember him working away in his room marking up these flags and tearing them to pieces it's mad to think how he was turned down uh, with that in his portfolio now it's part of the national collection at the tape yeah, that's kind of like um, a, a case of, for a lot of things in, you know, just black art in general sometimes where they, at the time it's just considered, ooh, it was too, ooh, it was too, ooh, it was too, um, too, too, rich, uh, too radical, da, 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 da. and then like 50 years later it's in the fucking tape, you know what I mean? St story of a lot of artists, I'm sure, um, especially in that kind of space. Um, but yeah, man, that's just, a, you know, one of many stories I always like enjoy, enjoy learning about. Um, I wouldn't have learned it if not. These, that's just one of those... It's just one of those stories that I wouldn't have known about if I didn't 
choose it for this pod. You know what I mean? That's why I enjoy doing this so much. Um, as a re as a reaffirmation of why I do this, right? Because <laughs> I constantly need to reaffirm myself of why I do stuff, and that's why I do this, especially um, just for shit like that. Because that fascinates the hell out of me. Um, I didn't know those people existed. I didn't know that I existed. And seeing that in in that little Guardian article, a couple of them, um, you know, they very they spoke a lot. They spoke a lot. Um, and you know that's what I was supposed to do. And um, you know, shout to shout to those guys, man. Shout to all of them. Um, you know, the fact that it's in the Tate right now is uh, you know just a just a, a microcosm of like a, I don't know progress, societal progress. I guess like it takes fifty years to actually catch up to some things, um, but you know politically it's going to take much much longer than that. Um, so I'm sure there's an equation somewhere. Um, on how society moves and how politics moves and uh, how far behind they are. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll do that equation someday. I'm not very good at math, so I'll leave that to someone else. And that said, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth End Podcast Network, I have a child Taylor, and this has been What's Good. Your intro music has been too much by Vanilla. You can find his link in the full show notes. Thanks to Chill Breakers for ability to use a track. You can also find their link in the full show notes. Thanks to Triple Crown. Triple Crown winner, Nappy Hire for the ability to use charismatic interlude. Go peep my uh, end of, uh, five, 5e end of year list if you want to know what I'm talking about. Uh, you can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, I hope you all have a good week. I should always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.